Good morning, church family. Uh, I want to welcome you to worship this morning, and as we uh, begin this uh, countdown to the end of 2020, and uh, today we have the privilege of beginning um, a Christmas series as we take a look at the book of Ruth uh, for the next four weeks. Let the world sing Gloria. The world is listening, waiting for the skies to sing to us below. Unafraid, something is about to change, knowing it's the very thing that we need most. And so we wait, and so we cry, salvation song when we started coming here. It's probably maybe our second year doing it, but we loved singing this song. I think it was introduced to us 
uh, as EBC quite a while ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago, maybe, somewhere in there. So we hope you enjoy it as much as Mike and I have. So thank you. Tonight I can see a star shine And its slender fills up the sky It's the same that appeared And the wise men revered When hope was born this night Out upon the snowy fields There's a silent peace that heals And it echoes the grace of our Savior's embrace Because hope was born this night. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let all of the world sing a chorus of joy because hope was born this night. I can hear the Christmas bells ring and softly a church choir sing. It's the song used to praise the ancient of days When hope was born this night There are angels in this place And my heart resounds with the praise Like a shepherd so scared I'll rejoice and declare That hope was born this night Glory to God in the highest Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let all of the world sing the chorus of joy because hope was born this night. Glory. team that was able to lead us this morning and choosing songs that speak to the hope that we have because of your son Jesus Christ, uh, that we should give you glory in the highest. Uh, and Lord, uh, that is what uh, brings peace to men, uh, is your son Jesus Christ, because uh, he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Uh, and Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we ask that you would 
teach us, that you would help us to see uh, just how glorious, uh, how beautiful you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth. And if you're uh, not familiar where that is, if you can find Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. It's a sandwich right there between uh, uh, those uh, early Old Testament books. And for the next four weeks, as we uh, approach the time where we have the opportunity to gather together to celebrate Christ's birth, uh, we are going to be taking a look at a chapter a week. So four chapters, four weeks. Uh, and I'd like to begin with chapter one, uh, because it speaks to hope being restored. Uh, and we'll begin by reading just verse one as we take a look at this background uh, in the book of Ruth. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So in order for you to understand, uh, as it, this begins, you need to understand that the, the book of Ruth actually stands out as the exception. It is an example of hope uh, in a time of sinful rebellion. Uh, because the children of Israel were not obeying the Lord. Uh, they were not living for him. And as a result of that, God's judgment was coming down upon them. Uh, but uh, God, in his wisdom, gave us a, a picture of hope in the book of Ruth. And it stands out uh, because everything else was not hopeful. Uh, as we, they, you take a look at what was happening, because you'll notice it says uh, that it was the time of the judges. The judges were the ones who ruled because uh, Israel was not ruled by a king. Uh, it brings true what it says in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, and even the testimony of what we'll find out as we open up the book of Ruth will speak to that, the fact that people did do what was right in their own eyes. And as a result, uh, God's judgment would come upon them. This is a time frame uh, where obedience was a roller coaster, marked by feeble faith in God, foolish conduct, and a deficient character. Uh, and so as we take a look at what God does, uh, as we will see in coming weeks, providential hand of God, even working in and around man's disobedience to bring himself glory uh, as he uh, interacts with those uh, whom he's created. You'll notice there that phrase, there was a famine in the land. Well, this famine was a direct result of Israel's disobedience. Uh, and you may say, well, how do I know that? Well, um, to first take, for instance, the fact that it says that there was a man of Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, I don't know if you know what the, the, uh, the word Bethlehem actually means, uh, but it actually literally means house of bread. And so here you have the house of bread in the town of Bethlehem experiencing a famine. So a famine that would have made it so that the grain was not coming in for them to live up to the actual name being the house of bread. And the thing is, is we can go back to the book of Deuteronomy and see why this is the case, why this is a judgment of God. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting in verse uh, 13, it says, and if you, and, and let me say, say this before I read it too, because this is a conditional promise, and you're going to see that God says, if you do this, then I will do this. 
So God's going to react to their obedience, and he's going to react to their disobedience. There's going to be a consequence. It says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, okay, this is what he's going to give. He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Okay, so that's the if you obey and you love the Lord your God, then you're going to see the bounty of that obedience and God blessing and making it possible for all of the land to give forth its fruit. It goes on in verse 16, though. There's a caution. It says, take care. Lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So the thing is, you can see there's a direct correlation to obedience to God and blessing of God, disobedience to God you know, that blessing being removed. And so when it says here that in the day of the judges, there was a famine in the land, you can see that this is an indirect result of man's disobedience, that they chose not to obey God, that they chose to worship other gods uh, and not to honor the one true God. And therefore, there's a result. And so they are getting the just desserts, the just result of their disobedience. And you'll notice there in verse 1 that it goes on and says, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, uh, he and his wife and his, son, his two sons. And so we have this, this move, and you have to understand that Bethlehem of Judah was in the promised land. And so even that, that promise of, of God giving and, and letting the, the ground and the earth uh, reproduce and to give them everything they need was part of that promise. And so here you have, uh, as we find out from verse 2, there was a man, uh, uh, the name of the man was uh, Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were uh, Malon and uh, Chilion. And they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah, uh, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. So you need to understand that here is Elimelech taking his family because there's a famine in the land. But remember, why is the famine there? That's because God's children were being disobedient. And so what he's doing is he's taking his his family out of a a bad situation uh, because it is the direct result of God's people not obeying him. And then he's taking and moving them. And as you can see from the screen... Um, Bethlehem would have been right underneath of Jerusalem here. And so he's going to take them over the Jordan River and come back down into the land of Moab right here. And the interesting thing is, is that Elimelech's name actually means, my God is king. And, you know, as he is taking and removing his family from the promised land, from the place where if there was obedience, then God would bless uh, and as we go through the, the uh, account of Ruth, we're going to find that there's someone that actually remained in the land and God blessed him. Uh, and I think as a direct result of the fact that he was obedient to God. 
Uh, and Elimelech, on the other hand, uh, did uh, what he shouldn't have done. He actually went to a pagan land, the land of Moab. Uh, matter of fact, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 11, uh, it, it says in verses 6 and 7a, uh, speaking of Solomon, it says, So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for the uh, Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. So Chemosh is the, the pagan god of the Moabites. Uh, and here God calls uh, the high place that Solomon built, and we know that Solomon took a whole lot of wives, uh, and to appease those wives, he built altars to their gods, uh, and therefore did not, you know, he did, as it says here, evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord wholly. Uh, and God calls the this false god of the Moabites an abomination. That altar is an abomination to him because it is a dividing of worship, to worship uh, something that is created by man as opposed to the one who is uncreated, the one who is God eternal. Uh, and so this is this is the background. This is what we're seeing set in place here. And the, the, the account of Ruth is going to give us a beautiful picture of hope in a time of sinful rebellion. And even as we find Elimelech, uh, moving his family from the promised land to the pagan land of Moab. And so as we, we, this, the account begins uh, here, uh, continuing on in the text in verses 2 to 14, which I will read uh, to you, actually starting in verse 3, because we read verse 2 already. It says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. But Mahan and Chilion died, so that, the women, uh, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And that's speaking of Naomi. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each one of you, in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Verse 11. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, you, uh, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Uh, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So as we take a look at verses uh, 2 through 14. Uh, as you can see, there is a, a pretty hopeless set of circumstances. 
because in direct correlation to Elimelech moving his family from the promised land to the pagan land of Moab, uh, some things actually end up happening. Uh, one, it, you know, it says there in the text that they were to, uh, to sojourn to the country, but they ended up actually spending 10 full years there. Uh, and, you know, as you, you realize this, again, this is still an act of disobedience because they're not in the promised land. And Elimelech's line is, you know, his whole family is from that area of Bethlehem of Judah. Uh, and the fact is, is that in the hope of a better life, uh, they, you know, ended up staying in Moab. And guess what? The problems that they were trying to escape in uh, Bethlehem, you know, because of the famine, because of the disobedience of God's people and God not blessing them, uh, they thought that they could escape and go to the land of Moab. Uh, but what they find out very quickly is that, you know, uh, you know, when you change your circumstances, it does not always mean that things are going to get better. Because, yes, things were bad in Bethlehem. You know, it would have been better for him to have stayed in the promised land and been obedient to uh, uh, his God, you know, as his name says. Um, my God is king. But instead, he chose to move to a pagan land instead, hoping to escape that, uh, you know, difficulty, only to find himself in another set of difficulty. Because as the text says, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Uh, so he died in the land that was not his own, uh, a land that he took his family, his wife, and his two sons and of course, uh, uh, Malon and Chilion followed in the footsteps of their father and continued in that disobedience because they took Moabite wives. As the text tells us, that's Ruth and Orpah. Uh, and they remained there about 10 years. Uh, and the, as a result of you know, that time frame uh, and coming to the end of that time frame, both of those sons also die. Now, as you take a look at this, uh, there is no direct prohibition of God saying, you know, do not marry Moabite women. Uh, but you can go back to the book of Deuteronomy and see that the Lord took very seriously the importance of the children of Israel marrying those of their their own people because he had set them apart. They were a special people, holy and set apart for him. And he did say, don't marry uh, the Canaanite, you know, don't intermingle with them. And there was other nations, the Hittites and the Parasites, uh, were all mentioned in that list there in Deuteronomy. Uh, and Moabites were not mentioned, but the whole reason for all of those names being mentioned, and God saying don't marry women from those particular people groups, is because what would happen is, and the text actually says in Deuteronomy, that they would take their sons and ha have them end up serving other gods. And so, again, they re would remove themselves from the promised land, from the focus of there being one true God, and end up, you know, falling into the temptation of taking uh, not only foreign wives, but those foreign gods as well. And as a result of this, we find three childless widows uh, living at a disadvantage in the land of Moab. Uh, and this is, you know, where the text begins to start, you know, taking a change because you'll notice there in verse 6 that Naomi hears uh, as she is uh, in the fields of Moab. So she's, you know, uh, you know, working and she finds that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. So the thing is, is if God's visited and the people are, are have food now, then that tells you that there's been a change over these 10 years. 
that there's actually a time where the children of Israel are becoming obedient and trusting the Lord once again because the blessings have returned, uh, as we found out from Deuteronomy 11. So Naomi acted on this news instead of only wishing that that same blessing that was in Bethlehem would come to her in Moab. Uh, She sees the need to be able to go back because that's where her people are. Uh, That's where the, the promised land is. Uh, and as you'll find from the text here, uh, as we finish out chapter one, is when she returns to town, everybody knows who she is. Uh, and they will speak to that, but we won't get too far ahead of ourselves here. Uh, but all three of them actually uh, set out on their way to Judah. Uh, and then we see an interesting thing here in the text as Naomi tells her two daughter-in-laws to return to their homes. Now, you might think this is strange, but the the fact is, is Naomi is thinking that it would be better for them to return to their parents where they have the possibility of, one, having protection, two, having the familiarity of the land because they are Moabite women and they would stay in the land of Moab as opposed to going to a foreign country, which Naomi would understand because she just spent the last 10 years being someone who was in a foreign country. Uh, And she was hoping that the Lord would deal kindly with them um, as uh, they had done with her. So we can see that there's a special relationship with the daughter-in-laws, with Naomi. And, and she's hoping that the Lord will, will return the favors uh, and the love that these two daughter-in-laws showed for Naomi back to them. He's hoping that, uh, or she's hoping that they will remarry uh, and actually have children because they're, they're widow, widowless but they also have no sons. They have had no children uh, to carry on their the name. Um, and she's hoping that staying in their native land will be better than going to a new one. Uh, and Naomi can speak from experience in relation to that. And you'll notice in verses 9 and 14 that th- that love is shown in a very powerful way. She kissed them and they wept together. So there's a, a, a distinct love between Naomi and her daughter-in-law's. Uh, and, you know, as we, we think about, you know, uh, mother-in-laws, uh, you know, a lot of times mother-in-laws get the short end of the stick and people make fun of their mother-in-law. But here's a beautiful picture of mother-in-law actually having a deep personal relationship. There's a love here. Uh, and they have a lot in common uh, because they've, they've lost their, their husbands. Uh, and you'll see in verse 10, they, they don't agree with her assessment. They said, no, we will return with you to your people. And of course, Naomi says, no, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for, my, uh, for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And so here is a testimony of the fact that, that Naomi realizes that everything that has happened is a result of the hand of God that the situation that they found themselves in, because Elimelech was, was leading them in that direction, that Naomi is seeing this from a spiritual set of eyes. That, you know what, the reason why I'm experiencing all of this, the reason why I lost my husband, why I'm in a foreign land, why I lost my sons, is all a direct, uh, uh, in direct relation to the hand of God going out against me. Uh, because she's in disobedience, because she's not where she should be. Uh, she's in a foreign land uh, and not worshiping uh, the one true God. You'll notice in verse 14 that Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 
So there's even a, spe- a, a more special relationship between Ruth and Naomi than there is between Orpah and uh, Naomi. Uh, so much so that in this whole set of situation, you know, Ruth wants her mother-in-law to know that I love you very deeply. And my heart goes out to you. And we're going to see here what's going to happen as a result. Because you're going to see here in the next few verses, uh, Ruth's response to uh, Naomi saying, stay here. As we pick it up in our text in verse uh, 15, in what I consider a hopeful set of circumstances. And she said, and this is Naomi, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is a beautiful commitment. This shows the depth of Ruth's love for Naomi. For where I go, or yeah, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. Ruth is willing to leave everything she knows to be with Naomi, to to go with her. And no matter what the plight, no matter what ends up happening in Naomi's life, Ruth wants to be a part of that. And so there's a special connection here. And she even takes it, uh, you know, after saying the beautiful commitment of, of going and lodging and dying, you'll notice, uh, you know, something else there. It says, your people, so Naomi's people, which would be the Israelites, which would be the people that are of Bethlehem in Judah, will be my people. So in other words, Ruth is saying, I want no longer to be, you know, with my people, the Moabites. I would rather be with you and your people, the Israelites. And she takes it a step further. She says, and your God, my God. This is another beautiful thing because there is a a, a change here. There is a drastic, you know, turnover. Uh, And the thing is, is we can can speculate to some extent um, because we're not given any real reason why Ruth is willing to do this. You know, could it be Naomi's faith in turning to God in a difficult time and realizing that it, it was fruitless to stay in Moab but instead return to Israel because, you know, the people of Israel were being obedient and she wanted to be obedient as well in return? Could it be her character that while not only losing her husband but also both her boys to death in the last 10 years, that she sees a strong woman and wants to, to be with her, to encourage her, because, you know, as the text says, she, she is old uh, and in need of care. Could it be that she attributes all the difficulty to her own disobedience before God? Because she makes it very clear, as she says in the text, that it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Could it be her immediate decision to return home once she had heard that the Lord had visited his people? Well, one thing I know for sure 
that there's no doubt that God is working in Ruth's heart. That God is bringing Ruth along and is utilizing even the, the, the disobedient set of circumstances that Elimelech put his family into to uh, change Ruth's heart. And at this point, we can see that Ruth is hopeful that the Lord will deal rightly with her because she's willing to go with Naomi. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we, we think about this and we think about even the circumstances we find ourselves in, going towards that which is hopeful, even if it means leaving everything that we know, if we know that we are being obedient to God, is the very place that we should be. And then the, the text of, of chapter 1 finishes out in verses 19 through 22. Uh, because uh, there's their return to uh, Bethlehem. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman, women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So the last couple of thoughts here in chapter 1. Notice that the people of Bethlehem were stirred by Naomi's return. And when I read this, it, it made me, you know, chuckle a little. This is a small town where everybody knows everybody. And living in the town of Haines like we did, you know, we, we knew a lot of people. And, you know, any ferry ride back to Haines was just basically a, a time to catch up with everybody that you already knew. Uh, there was a few people that would be basically trans, you know, driving through Haines to go up into Canada, uh, and maybe up into the interior of Alaska. But a lot of the people on the ferry were people you knew. Uh, when you came out off the ferry at the ferry terminal, uh, you you ran into a whole bunch of people you knew, you know, and you would go and walk up to them and talk to them because you knew them. Well, this same thing is true in relation to Naomi returning. So Naomi is known. Uh, and so, again, take it back 10 years. We see the difficulty of Elimelech deciding to leave because of the famine to go to the, the land of Moab. So, as it were, they were leaving a lot of being known by those in the community because they were, were tight-knit. And we're going to find, as we speak to even the property and the land that they own, uh, that it was part of, of their family. Notice in verse 20 and 21, because there's a, a thing where uh, uh, they, she says to them, do not call me Naomi. Well, Naomi's name actually means pleasant. And so she's saying, don't call me pleasant because I am anything but pleasant. She says, call me Mara instead. Well, Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, one of the things I want you to notice is, is that Naomi speaks very truthfully and very humbly. Uh, 
because she is bitter. Now, some may say, well, she's bitter at God. Well, there's a sense in which she, she could be bitter at God. But I think there's also a sense in which she's bitter with herself because she has been living in disobedience. She wasn't in the promised land. She was in the land of Moab. Uh, and when she saw that the Lord had, you know, once again blessed the people of Israel in Bethlehem of Judah, you know, she decided to go home. And I think that th- that was because she, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, was, you know, looking to become faithful once again. Because her time away from her people and from her God was a bitter time. Think about everything she lost. If people knew Naomi that well to recognize her on sight, she left all those people, was gone from them for 10 years. She was in a strange and foreign land where she no doubt didn't understand the customs, saw other people worshiping a a false god that God calls an abomination, where she loses her husband and her two sons. So Naomi has had a very long and, and rough road. But here we find her returning home. And the thing is, is that, you know, this is even a, a stepping out in faith on her part. Because think about it. She's returning home where everyone knows her. Now, I don't know whether or not anyone at home realized that her husband was dead and both of her sons and that she was a widow with no, no one, you know, really to take care of her uh, and to, to be her, you know, family and lineage. But she also goes on to say it was by the very hand of the Almighty that this has come upon her. So she recognizes God's judgment. She recognizes that her disobedience has consequences. That even trying to escape and go to a different set of circumstances does not always mean that things are going to get better. And the thing is, is what I want you to understand is that this is not just a bunch of bad luck. As, you know, the world would take a look at it. Well, man, you just got a lot of bad luck. No, she recognizes that this is God's judgment. This is God's hand upon her. And the thing is, you notice there in the text, she says, she went away full and the Lord has brought her back empty. But is she truly empty? Because guess what? She's not, you know, she is empty in the fact that she's not coming back with her husband and her two sons. But she has Ruth with her. One who loves her very deeply, who is willing to go where she goes, to lodge where she lodged, to die where she dies. That her people, Naomi's people, would become Ruth's people. And that her God would become uh, Ruth's God. See, she has something. She just doesn't quite realize it. Because, yes, she has lost a lot. But she also has things to be thankful for. And verse 22 Uh, That last part there says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So at the opportune time for them to begin to glean uh, from the fields, to have something to eat, to provide, you know, from them for themselves from the gift of God returning the blessing upon his people. And so there are things that even though she may seem as though she returned empty, she has things to be thankful for. And I think for us, it's a lesson as we come off of this Thanksgiving week is that we often have a tendency to look at all of the things that we have lost, all of the things that we don't have, as opposed to seeing all the things that we have gained and all the things that we do have. 
Uh, and I think it's a testimony to uh, the difference between a hopeless set of circumstances and a hopeful one. And as we think about the Advent and we think about Christ's coming, as we look forward to this time of celebration of Christ coming to earth, is that we have hope. We don't live as those who do not have hope. We have hope because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done, because of what he accomplished on Calvary. And so for Naomi, hope has been restored because she's now home. And she has the opportunity to to see God use a set of circumstances that she doesn't quite understand yet. But her obedience and God, through his providential hand, is going to end up blessing Naomi in ways she does not even realize yet. And so hope has been restored, but there's a hope yet that she doesn't even see. And so as we think about these things, may we hope in our God. And may you be able to say that my God is king, that God rules over all, that we can, you know, raise glory to God in the highest, as we sung this morning. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this uh, book of Ruth. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful picture of hope being restored, that even though we, at times, like uh, Elimelech, are disobedient, and we know that being disobedient has consequences, because every choice that we make has a consequence. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And that's in direct relation to whether or not we are obedient or disobedient. And Lord, I pray for each one here today that they would see the hope that is in your son, Jesus Christ. The hope that uh, you gave to Naomi uh, and eventually, as we'll see, to Ruth and to Boaz uh, as we we see the, the account continue to unfold in the coming weeks. Uh, And may we, in this coming week, be hopeful people, seeing what we do have uh, and what we have that we should be thankful for. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning and, and trust that your day will be continued to be filled with the hope that only God can give. Uh, as you look forward to this time of year uh, and the blessing of Jesus Christ coming uh, and the fact that we know that he's coming again.